0: Hi, this is Pastor Corey. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this podcast will encourage you, strengthen your faith, and most importantly, help you draw closer to Jesus. Last week, Rachel started us on our new journey of altering our earthly mindset into heaven's mindset. If you guys missed that, then I encourage you to go back and watch that because it's the beginning of our three-part series, if you want to call it that. Maybe training is a better definition of what we want to bring you guys through. But a shift has taken place. A shift in this church, a shift around the world, in this nation, because testimony after testimony online calls out and says, Change is happening. A shift has taken place. Even this Sunday, Bishop Kelly brought us his word with the same update, that there has been a shift, a spiritual change has taken place here in the Northwest, which is awesome. It's exciting to see this shift happen, and that is taking place here. I know for Rachel and I, we have felt that shift in our own household as we stepped out of the dark night of our soul, along with many others in this body of Christ. And as God has taken us out of that, he is giving us new assignments. He has given us this word that he was proud of his body, that we are shifted into something new. And in that newness is a new assignment. And he desires something different from us. See, the Holy Spirit told me that the floodgates of heaven have opened up. It's up to the body of Christ to recognize the flow of the Holy Spirit's waters. So that we are used in the currents. Or otherwise, we'll be swept away like dry bones being washed away. It's such an encouragement that he sees us being useful in the kingdom. This is why we wanted to, why Rachel and I wanted to start you guys in this training. Why we started last week with declaring out that you guys are an ambassador. She brought us understanding that we are ambassadors of God Almighty. Amen. Remember always that you are an ambassador. You represent Christ. He is in you and you are in him. So last week, we brought to you that point number one, you are an ambassador. And tonight we're gonna talk about establishing your embassy. Building those walls around your embassy. And then next week, we're gonna take ground and advance the kingdom of God. And I don't know quite what that's gonna look like, but I have a feeling I'm gonna be putting you guys stretching those muscles a little bit as we do declaration and movement into the kingdom. Amen. So tonight, I want to bring this understanding in our second point, which is to establish your embassy. See, I'm very passionate about this topic, especially because I have two babies in my household, along with being a part of this family at Worship Center. You guys are embassy. My children, my wife is my embassy. You see, we cannot be effective workers in the kingdom of God if our own embassy or household is not safe from the works of the enemy. You just cannot. Throughout all of history, every military has a fort or a base to return to safely, a place where the soldiers are safe, where they can train, receive rest, and prepare for the next incursion. It is no different for us as God's army. We are called to have a place to train, rest and prepare. We do these things here in this place of worship as well as at our home. So what is an embassy? What is an embassy? Let's look at the definition. An embassy is a body of diplomatic representatives, specifically one headed by an ambassador. I find this definition really interesting because much like the definition of God's church, it has nothing to do with the, with the building. Has nothing to do with the wood, the mortar, or the stone, but everything to do with the people, everything to do with the group, everything to do with the body of representatives that are joined together in that meeting place. Does that sound familiar? It sounds just like the body of Christ. It means your brothers and sisters around you are your embassy. My home, my dwelling is only my embassy when my family resides under its roof. When we leave, it becomes just a house. It's just a structure until we come back. We are the embassy. When the church body is not present in this building, it's just a building. It's just sheetrock and concrete and studs. But when the body enters together, it becomes a church, it becomes the embassy. Does that make sense? It hit me. Embassy is no different than a church. So tonight I want to ask you guys three questions. We're going to go through these. Number one is, is your embassy covered? Is it covered? The second is, is there a snake in your garden? We're going to jump into Genesis for that. And then the third is how to establish your embassy. Now understand, in order to explain our second training point of establishing your embassy, I have to ask these questions. And in reality, these questions is one plus two equals three. So question one plus question two equals the third question. And our third question that I'm asking is our answer. It is our answer. And so to orient you for what's going to come, I ask that as I go through question one, file that away. I'll get to question number two, file that away. And when we get to question three, add those together and it will all make sense. Sound fair? This question of how to establish your embassy is our instruction tonight. So as I take you through the training tonight, file that away. File each of those away. But for our first question, is your embassy covered? Turn your Bibles to Psalm 91. If you have them with you, otherwise it will be on the screen. Or if you're following along at home, pull out your Bible. A lot of us are familiar with Psalm 91, I believe. It's one of my favorites. But I want to establish something before we jump into that. I want to say that we are all called to dwell under the safety of the covering of the Almighty. Say covering. We are all called to be covered by Him. Psalm 91, I'm going to read 1 through 6. Verse 1 He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walk in the darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. I love that, and I encourage you guys, if you don't already, read that over yourself. Read that over your family. You see, the Hebrew word used for almighty in verse 1 is Shaddai. Say "shaddai." Shaddai. Which carries many dramatic meanings. I found this interesting. It can mean God of the mountain. God, the destroyer of enemies, God, the self-sufficient one, God, the nurturer of babies. I love that. And then, of course, God, the almighty, which is why it says almighty. But we need to understand something. So listen close. Our God desires for us to remain, abide, and lodge under the protective shadow of his presence. God desires. God does not desire for us to live without his protection or run this race unpracticed or to, do, or to face battle alone. We are not designed to do it alone. We are beings designed to be tied together in one body. We're beings designed to be underneath his wing as we battle. You see, we don't leave the shadow of his presence to go do battle. We do battle under his presence. We do battle in the presence of the Almighty. That is his desire. His desire is for his bride to live life under the protection of his covering or his protective government. Remember that. Covering and protective government. We're going to get into this. But always remember, God is your covering. Whenever you leave your house, God is your covering. When you go to bed at night, God is your covering. When you pray for your loved ones, God is your covering. But how do we keep this covering up over our head? How are we supposed to abide under his covering without wandering out from underneath it? All of us often wander around out from underneath his covering. I know I do. Let's continue in this psalm to find out. Look at verse 2, if we can pull that back up again. And without diving too deep we're getting off track with this. I want to highlight this revelation as we read this. It says, I say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. In this verse, you see that God is given two different names. Lord, which is capitalized, and my God. Why? Why wouldn't the author, just say God twice. You see, whenever we see in the Old Testament where God is used, capital G, little little D, it usually is a rendering of the general Hebrew, meaning God or Elohim. You see, Elohim is plural in Hebrew. It means deity or three in one. It is the triune God, the Spirit, the Father, the Son. It is all of them. It is plural. Whenever we see capital, the capitalized letters of Lord, capitalized L-O-R-D, written in this manner, we need to remember that this is a replacement for the occurrence of God's most sacred name. This is God. This is Jehovah, Yehovah. In Hebrew is Y-H-W-H, yud Hey vav Hey also known as the Tetragrammation. There's so much into his name. So much. Translated to us as the existing one, or for most uh, Jews nowadays, it's Hashem. They just call him the name. That is their God to them, the name. This is the proper name for the one true God, seen as so holy, but most Jews of past, and even today, they won't say Yehovah. They won't say it. They won't say Yudha vav heh Why? Because they believe that the vibrations from your voice, as you speak that out, ushers new life. That as you speak out the name of Yehovah, that you're actually changing and altering life. You're giving life because Yehovah Elohim, Is the life giver. He is the soul giver. The Old Testament uses many different names and titles to refer to God, to emphasize certain aspects of His person and attributes. This is what I want you to grasp onto here. I'm going to repeat it. The Old Testament uses these different names to emphasize certain aspects of His person and attributes. I'm going to give you an example. I am Ryan Ewing. I am Ryan Ewing, the game warden. Sometimes I'm Ryan Ewing, the minister. I'm Ryan Ewing, the carpenter. I'm Ryan Ewing, the husband. I'm Ryan Ewing, the father. Now understand, I am the same person, but those are all different aspects of my personhood. You see, when I'm a game, game warden, I am Ryan Ewing, the lawgiver. I'm the one that enforces the law. But when I am renewing the father or husband, I am the one that is called to show love and administer love. When I am renewing the minister, I am here to teach, a shepherd to preach. You see, I'm still the same person. But in each of those aspects, I am doing a different role. I'm doing a different job. Does that make sense? So when you have Elohim, that is the triune God. But when it is taken into Yehovah Elohim, you have to understand. Now it is God, the lawgiver, God, the one who is the judge, God who is specific in His name is now speaking about a certain aspect of Elohim. Are you guys following? But I don't want to get stuck on the different names of God. That is not my point for tonight. Okay, so don't get sidetracked with that. I'm telling myself that mo- mostly, but understand that I want you to grasp that there's different aspects of who God is, especially when we are understanding his government and his covering. There's those words again, government and covering. Because when we see government and covering, Yehovah Elohim is involved, especially when you're looking at Psalm 91. You see, God's name in, in this psalm is capitalized L-O-R-D. It refers to the government or doctrine, the law and nature of God Almighty. His doctrine of sow and harvest. Doctrine of sow and harvest. It just, which is described by Jesus in so many of his different parables. Whenever we would read, the kingdom of God is like, and then Jesus goes in to tell a parable out, parable about sowing, and harvesting, he's actually describing the doctrine of the kingdom of God. Just like it says in Mark chapter four, in verses two and three, Jesus says, and he taught it says, and he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. You see, Yehovah Elohim is the government of the Godhead. Yehovah is the government of Elohim. And so when he speaks out, he is speaking out in the language of sow and harvest. Are you guys following? This was described to us by Jesus so many times. I don't have time to go through it tonight, but every time you go through those parables, look at that. But I want you to understand something. When it refers to the kingdom of God, that is his government. This is different from the kingdom of heaven. You see that is God's home. So he always says, the kingdom of God is like, sow, and harvest. He's describing the government of God. It refers to Lord God, Yehovah Elohim, who sits on the mercy seat in the courtroom of heaven at the top of Jacob's ladder. This is why Satan was able to enter into his presence to bring something against Job. Well, he didn't go into heaven. He was kicked out of heaven. No, he was entered before Yehovah, Elohim, the God of government. That's for a different sermon. The usage of Lord and God in the New Testament helps us explain this a little bit better. Because Greek is closer to our language, is it? Almost universally, God is translated, is the translation of theos, the general Greek word for deity. Does that help you guys? God, Elohim, the three in one, is deity. And Lord is a translation of kiros, the general Greek word for a master. You see, master is someone that's ahead of a household. Master is someone who is ahead of an estate, someone that dictates the law that takes place over a manor. That is what a master does. Listen close, church, the answer is, the answer for is your embassy covered is this. If we sow under this law of sow and harvest, if we sow peace, faith, hope and love with understanding of who we are through Christ, then we are promised through Psalm 91 that he will remain that we will remain under the protection of his presence, the presence of Lord Almighty, abiding under the shadow of his uh, <coughs> under the shadow of him In accordance to his government. This is telling us that by sowing these things which under the law laid out by the Lord, He will be we will be protected, we reap what we sow. But if we sow fear, anger, and curses, greed, then we will not dwell in the secret place of the Most High God. If we sow such things, then we harvest destruction. That is what his government means. Do you understand? We always harvest what we sow, whether good or bad. This is the doctrine of the kingdom of God, according to Jesus. This is even in the context of generations and generational curses. That's why it's so important to understand that when we declare and we cancel generational curses, that we're actually breaking off from what was judged over our forefathers before us. So we always have to break off what those fathers were judged over in the sow and harvest. And if you feel led by that, come talk to us afterwards. That's why declaration is so important. <clears throat> by standing within the doctrine of Yehovah, sow and harvest, you remain in the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of heaven, but the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus always started his parables with describing planting and harvesting with what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? He always started with that. You see, this revelation to me unlocks the true principle behind what makes Psalm 91 a promise. See, before I always understood that Psalm 91 was a promise, but I didn't know why. Because that promise falls underneath God's government, his government of sow and harvest. So when we read verse 2, and it says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God and him I will trust. It is saying that the doctrine of Yehovah of sow and harvest, which is the kingdom of God according to Jesus, is our refuge and our fortress. He's saying if you stay in this, it will become your refuge and your fortress. It becomes your covering. This is how your embassy is covered. When you stay in this principle, this doctrine that Jesus laid out for us, you are covered, you're protected, according to Psalm 91. I hope that ties in for you guys. Abide under this principle, and you will abide under the shadow of the wings of the Father forever. But this brings me to the second question. Is there a snake in your garden? You see, I hope we all understand from the last question that in how we abide under the shadow of his presence, which situates us safely in our embassy, but it doesn't mean that we should ever become lazy. It doesn't mean that we should ever let our guard down. We may think that what we're sowing and harvesting is faith, peace, hope, and love, but that doesn't mean just sit there. We have to be aware that there can still come attack. An embassy is a place of defense and order, not of comfort and ignorance. He never calls us into a place of ignorance. Our embassy has to be a place that defends against the devices of the devil. Say devices. Devices Devices is the snake in the garden. The snake was Satan's device. See, in the garden, Satan used the snake to get at Adam and Eve. Satan used the snake as a device to attack Adam and Eve. Which device, you have to ask yourself, which device is the enemy using to attack you while you're safely embedded under his covering in your garden? Always ask yourself that. What device is there? Because then you know how to cover yourself further. Turn your Bibles to Genesis 3. We're going to jump into this. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Okay, before I go any further into this point, what did we just cover about understanding Lord God? That he is the life giver. He is the government. But before that, we have... I want to back up. Before we go any further in understanding of who the serpent was and how we are to protect ourselves and our embassies, we first need to understand what the soul is. You see, we have a soul. God has a soul. And according to Genesis, many creatures have souls. You see, Jesus is the body. He is the word made flesh. And Jehovah Yehovah is the soul. Jehovah is the soul. And Ruach Kakadesh is the Holy Spirit. He is a triune God, body, soul, spirit, just as we are triune beings, body, soul, spirit. You see, oftentimes we just think it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, we understand it's three in one. But do you understand that Yehovah is the soul of God? The Holy Spirit is a spirit, and Jesus is the body, the Word made flesh. It is not by accident that we have a body, a soul, and a spirit. We are mirrored copies of Elohim. I think it's beautiful. Now, through this understanding, the Bible says Adam was created by Yehovah Elohim. You see, all of chapter 1 only uses Elohim. But then in chapter 2, we see a shift. We see a shift into where it is using Yehovah Elohim, Lord God. So when you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed, breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and man became a living being. You see, Yehovah is soul. He is the spark, the government of Elohim breathe life into Adam's nostrils. This is where we see the shift from God to Lord God, from Elohim to Yehovah Elohim, the life giver, the soul giver. Jehovah God is the spark. He is the life giver. Yud is the spark. Now understanding this, let's jump back to chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast in the field, which the Lord God had made. What did we just learn? Yehovah Elohim breathed life. He is the life giver into the nostrils of Adam. He breathed the government and understanding into the heart of man. Well, this is saying that Lord God created the serpent. The soul giver, the spark, the government also breathed life into the serpent. Are you guys tracking? We have to understand that the soul giver gave man soul, gave the serpent soul. This has a point. See, some creatures made by God have souls. They have their own language, and the serpent was one of them. And of the beasts of the field, the Bible says he is the most cunning. Now, I'm going to be blunt. The serpent in the garden was not Satan. He was not Satan. But a deceived creature, a device, deceived by Satan to gain access to Adam and Eve. The serpent was God's creature with the soul, deceived by Satan and used by the devil. This is why God cursed the serpent. When you look at uh, Genesis 3, 7, no, Genesis 3.14, that's why God said, So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On the belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. He is not speaking to Satan in that time. he's speaking to the serpent. You see, this creature had a will of its own and sadly it chose to be deceived by the devil. Now understand when I back up a little bit, Jehovah Elohim is the government of God. He is the government giver, which means when he, like I said earlier, when he breathed into Adam. And as Jesus says, the words of the Lord are written on our hearts. That means the the law was written on the heart of that serpent. And still, he went against God's government and chose to side with the devil and deceive Adam and Eve. That's an act of will. Again, don't get into the weeds about talking about creatures versus man. That's not my point. But my point is coming here. That Adam had to use a device to get at Adam and Eve. So ask yourself, what devices is the devil using in your own life? to get at you. You're under the covering of Jehovah Elohim. You're under his protection according to Psalm 91. But ask yourself, is there still devices that the enemy is using to get at you? Is that device anger? Is that device maybe being annoyed? Is that device being, it could be anything. But ask yourself, is that an access? for the enemy to get in to start whispering. So we understand from this that the serpent was not Satan but a device used to gain access. But if the Satan had, but if Satan had to use the serpent to gain access to Adam and Eve, it probably means that he wasn't allowed to get near them. You see we are taught through so many years that Satan was in that tree talking to Eve. But when you actually look at Genesis 2:8, you see that They were in a protective space. Satan was not allowed in the presence of the Almighty God. You see, Genesis says that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. So if God is present and Adam is made in his image, then why would Satan, the chief of all lies, be allowed in their presence? He wasn't. And again, this is getting off of the direction I want to go. But if Adam was created in the image of God and God is light, then Adam was light. You see, life, blood, actually means it glowed. The blood of Adam glowed. So when you looked at Adam, he was as bright as God. So when you look at the original Hebrew, it said the lights walked in the cool of the day. Adam was a light giver, which means Satan wasn't allowed in the presence of the light of the Almighty. It wasn't until after the fall that Adam discovered he was naked, meaning that light had gone. He was no longer light. He also discovered that, no, that gets in the weeds. Let's keep going. Let's turn to Genesis 2.8. It says, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now, I want to break this down into what I believe is the word, of, word by word meaning through the original Hebrew. I'm going to throw Ed under the bus, but he checked my work. So when I read this, it says, look oh, back. Yeah. Verse 8, Jehovah Elohim established an enclosed garden in antiquity in the days of old, in a place unknown, and there he stationed the first man that he had breathed, formed. You see, the Garden of Eden was in, was in Eden, the Garden of Eden. It was a protected place in Eden. That means it had boundaries. Satan was not allowed to enter that place. That is why Satan had to deceive a creature that God had created in order to enter past those boundaries to get at Adam and Eve. So ask yourself, is your embassy covered? Are your boundaries set like the Garden of Eden? And what snakes are allowed to go past those boundaries? You see, according to the original Hebrew text, the Garden of Eden was enclosed. Not only that, but it was protected. It was protected. Why would it need to be? And also, why in antiquity? Why of old? Because I believe it was protected, and in the old days, because it means that Satan had never once entered into that place. It wasn't like that place was polluted from him walking through there before Adam. No, it means of all time, the garden was a protected place. Sin was not allowed there. Garden, the garden was a walled embassy. Now, when we combine these things, we see one theme. And that theme is that God places all of us in an embassy where we can walk with God in the cool of the day, protected. We are all given an embassy, safe from the grasp of Satan. This is his covering described in Psalm 91. Point one and two equals three. But it doesn't mean we're allowed to become complacent. There may be snakes in our garden. There are always snakes trying to enter into your garden. Snakes are devices. Satan is always trying to use these devices to deceive us. That is his goal. He wants to throw us off. He wants to hinder us so that we actually walk out from underneath the covering so then he can attack. He desires to throw us off so much that we put down our peace, pick up fear, and walk out from underneath that covering. That is his goal. Maybe he can't get to us. Maybe we're such a wall. He wants to get behind us at our family. Maybe we're such a wall, but he's going to use different devices to stumble us. That's what he is trying to do. See, if we fully understand the doctrine of Yehovah and the kingdom of God and remain in peace, if we remain in his shadow, then we are safe. But as soon as we allow the serpent of fear or greed to sneak into our presence, and we no longer sow peace, but we sow fear, then under this principle, we have harvested destruction. Do not trade in your peace for fear. Because then you're no longer covered under the shadow of his wing. So in understanding how our embassy is covered, and then asking if there is a snake of fear or greed in your garden, then let's look at how do we establish that protected space. How do we establish that protected garden? Because I desire that all of us are protected. If we're all going to minister, if we're all going to be trained to enter into this new shift that's taking place, we have to understand that we need to abide in a safe space. We have to abide in the presence of God. Like I said in the beginning, from that space, you do your warfare. From that protected space, you declare with your mouth over your future and your children's future. In that protected space, you're able to fully do what God has called you to do in the army. Otherwise, you are just floundering by yourself, attacked on all sides. That's what Psalm 91 is saying. It's an encouragement saying, don't do this alone. Don't do it alone. Make sense? So, how to establish your embassy? In order to abide safely within your embassy, you're called to do this through constant adherence of living understanding the doctrine and principle of the kingdom of God, of sow and harvest. I really encourage you guys, dive into that understanding of sow and harvest. Maybe it sounds harsh, but it is the doctrine of Jesus. It is the government of God, sow and harvest. We reap what we sow. But understand, when we look at Philippians 4.9, Paul shows us the way that we can properly sow in order to harvest the protection of the promise of Psalm 91. And that is my desire tonight. As we jump into this, remember that one plus two equals three. That means understanding the government of God and how to remain there and how to block the devices of the enemy all by Declaring and sowing, and then abiding, you're able to harvest, Psalm 91. Let's look at Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now I want to pause right here. I find this so interesting. Because to me, it looks familiar. Paul understood the principles of the kingdom of sow and harvest. See, what he is saying here is the Lord is at hand. You See, this is a rabbinical term saying the time is imminent. Harvest will soon come to pass. We are near to God. The time of harvest is always near. He's saying sow gentleness in order to reap the harvest of souls. He's saying the time is near when he makes that statement in that verse. Sow gentleness into people's lives because the time of Jesus is coming near. The time of harvest is always near is the point. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, and if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Meditate on that. The God of peace will be with you. Elohim will be with you. That means the triune God. Stand in peace and understand that Jesus, the word made flesh, stands beside you. God of peace. Understand that God of peace, the Holy Spirit, Ruach Hakodesh, burns inside of you. And understand that God of peace means that Yehovah, the government, the spark, the soul giver, remains around you. He is saying the God of peace will be with you. This church, this is how you are expected to abide in the presence of the Almighty. I want this to be your goal. I ask that you live in truth. Be noble. Live Just, walk in purity, abide in love, give good report, and let everything you do be praiseworthy. This is how we should always conduct ourselves. And when we conduct ourselves in this manner, then in the law of sow and harvest, you have just sown all these beautiful things, and you remain under the covering of the Almighty You see, in order to establish your embassy, you have to ask yourself, where have you established your embassy? Have you established it under the government of the Lord God Almighty? Or have you established it outside of that, under the government of man? Ask yourself, where did I lay my peace down today? Maybe you're going through and you're just off. Stop. Where did I lay my peace down? And where did I pick up fear? Probably when you exited his covering. So stop, retrace your steps, place down fear, pick up peace and head back underneath the covering of the almighty God. That's what I'm calling you tonight. That is how you establish your embassy. By walking in peace and rejecting fear, then you remain under the covering. Your embassy is safe. Fear is the number one tool of the enemy. Fear is the number one device used by the enemy. You see, if fear is trying to creep in, reject it quickly. Reject it quickly. Because when you look back at Genesis three fourteen, what does it say? Or 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. See, understand, when you quickly step, stomp on the head of the snake of fear, then you are reigning in victory. You are co-heirs with Christ. So stomp on fear, pick up peace, and remain and abide under his covering. Amen? If you ever find yourself asking questions like, why did God let this happen? Or why does a good God let bad things happen? Or what is God trying to teach me through this? Then I say this to you. A mind shift needs to take place. Your questions need to shift into, how can I find my way back under his covering since I stepped out from underneath it? The law of sow and harvest. We sow, we reap what we sow. This is accomplished through proper declaration, which is the act of sow and harvest, which pulls you back under the permanent protective government of the kingdom of God. You see, Philippians chapter 4 is our answer. Philippians chapter 4 is how we sow in order for us to reap Psalm 91. You see this, I don't want this, and this is not intended to be a prosperity teaching. This is an understanding of God's kingdom teaching. It's an understanding of who Yehovah Elohim is. You see, Jesus said that we will, we will have trials in this life. But remember, if we abide in the blessing under the doctrine of his kingdom, then we will successfully maneuver Through those trials under the promises of his written word. Amen. That is a call that he is saying. You will have trials. But remain under his covering. With peace in hand. And he will direct your steps to maneuver through those trials. That is his promise. That's his promise of Psalm 91. That's the blessing of being his children. That's a blessing of abiding under the wings of the Almighty. If you need to, while we end in worship, just close your eyes. Allow the Spirit to show you what it means to abide under the wings of the Almighty. It's a special place. In this week, I want to encourage you, seek this out. Prepare your heart Find your covering. Find your peace again. In your prayer time, whenever that might be, ask the Holy Spirit, are there devices that the the devil is using to get at me? Are there devices in my family that I don't know about that I need to cut off? And in that, be prepared for next week. Next week, we want to do activation and declaration because I want to be able to send you guys out there fully protected, And with the tools in your belt to know that by standing in the covering of the Almighty, I can declare out from here and see the future changed. And that's why we're doing this training. That's why I want to prepare you guys. Amen.